Well, welcome everyone as we gather for worship at our homes today. So glad to be with you. And if you call War Church home, so glad you're here. If you're visiting or a guest, so glad you're here as well as we're shaped and challenged and transformed by God and His Word together. Well, in Michigan, we've been socially distancing for about eight weeks now. And whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, I think we can all say that we're all kind of longing for community and connection. I find myself lingering more and more uh, in my front yard as my neighbors drive by, uh, just getting a chance to connect with them a little bit. And like I said, I spend more time in my front yard than in my back in these days. All ways that we want that connection and community. And in its absence, I've been meditating, reflecting on Jesus and his teachings And it's so great that as a church, we're in the series on the Sermon on the Mount as we're focusing specifically on his teachings about his kingdom and how its upside down ways uh, caused a revolution throughout history. And today we're going to focus on one verse, one verse, Matthew 7, 6. So if you have a Bible or uh, have access to Bible, you can turn to that Matthew 7, 6 as I read. Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are some great Bible verses in Scripture. And as a follower of Jesus, I know that all Scripture is breathed out by God. But there are some ones that are our favorites. Uh, You know, some ones that we cling to. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, Proverbs 3.5. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, Romans 8.28. Some classics. And these are great verses. And I bet some of you even have some of those verses across your home or in some other creative medium. But I'm willing to guess that none of you have Matthew 7, 6 across your home. Because at first glance, it does come across very harsh and ungracious. And because we believe all scripture is breathed out by God, we don't just get to skip parts because uh, we disagree with them or they're hard to understand. So what do we do when we get to parts that are a little confusing, a little hard to understand like I shared? Well, there's a warning in 2 Peter three sixteen where it says that that some people, and I'm quoting Peter now, uh, are ignorant and unstable, and these people distort those words to their own destruction. And I don't think we want to be there. See, Matthew 7 6 falls into that category of being a little bit difficult to understand. And sometimes people use it to dehumanize other people, as Pastor Scott shared last week, that it can lead to people drawing a line in the sand and justify calling some people dogs and pigs unworthy of the good news while considering themselves holy and sinless. And historically, the church has been filled with those people who would declare themselves holy, declare themselves pious only in comparison to the people they could push down and could judge. In the Bible, they call this self-righteousness, but the world has a better term, hypocrisy. And Pastor Scott gave a great sermon last week on religious hypocrisy. I encourage you to go Check that out if you can. But now, I want to be clear about what Jesus is saying in our text today. That Jesus is very clear about 
sin and what is evil. But consistently throughout Scripture, he directs the harshest criticism to those who would lift up the flag of self-righteousness, these religious hypocrites, and is very gracious to those who would acknowledge the sinfulness in their own hearts. In the Sermon on the Mount, he is systematically deconstructing that religious hypocrisy, and he's deconstructing the religious leaders of the time and their gospel of self-righteousness. So what did Jesus actually mean by these words? And I think we can turn to Dallas Willard uh, as he shared in one of his commentaries on his exposition on this passage. And with great wisdom, he gives insight. He says this, But it is hard to imagine anything more opposed to the Spirit of Jesus than this. Indeed, the very coming of Christ, the pearl of God, into the world would be a case of pearls before pigs, thus understood. So let us be clear once and for all, Jesus is not suggesting that certain classes of people are to be viewed as pigs or dogs, nor is he saying to not give good things and do good deeds to people who might reject or misuse them. In fact, his teaching is exactly the opposite. We're to be like the Father in the heavens, who is kind to the unthankful and even the uh, evil. And listen to what he says here. The problem with pearls for pigs is not that the pigs are not worthy. It is not worthiness that is in question here at all, but helpfulness. Pigs cannot digest pearls, cannot nourish themselves upon them. Likewise, for a dog with a Bible or a crucifix, the dog cannot eat it. The reason these animals will finally turn and rend you when you one day step up to them with another load of Bibles or pearls that you at least are edible. Anyone who's had, ever had serious responsibilities of caring for animals will understand immediately what Jesus is saying. As our family has sheltered in place, we've enjoyed watching some of the uh, different shows available on Disney Plus, a streaming platform. And when we're not watching uh, Frozen 2 for the hundredth time, we've started watching these National Geographic shows on uh, these animals. And we've seen the one on elephants. We've seen the one on bears. We've seen the one on penguins. And they're all great because they follow these animals, uh, a mama bear and a, her cubs or a herd of elephants. And they're all kind of driven by one primal urge. And that primal urge is hunger. They'll wander from place to place, uh, going far and uh, willing to sacrifice and risk it all to satisfy that deep primal need. And I wonder what it would look like when, if we were ever facing a hungry herd of elephants or even uh, a bear right after winter. And as a side, uh, just a fun fact, you know, bears don't hibernate. I found that out. They actually stay in a state of uh, inactivity called torpor. Just a fun fact for you. So imagine you're before one of these bears as they've left this state of torpor uh, and all you have is pearls. What would happen if you had these pearls and just threw it at the bear or these hungry elephants? See, the very things we hold precious would be useless in that situation. See, the question for us today is not who are the people in our lives who are unworthy to receive the good news, but rather how can we grow in our capacity to really meet the real needs of the people in our community? and in a way that can be helpful for them. And I think our text guides us in two ways. One, with wisdom, and two, in bravery. With wisdom and in bravery. 
first wisdom. The text says, do not throw your pearls to pigs. And uh, if you Google pigs and pearls, uh, you get this image. And uh, I really enjoy it. I think it's hilarious. I love the lipstick on it and the pearls on the pig. But there's wisdom in Jesus' words. Wisdom not necessarily on who we engage with, but how we engage with them. Sometimes we get so stuck in getting our message out, we don't even care if it's helpful. That we become these message pushers, uh, regardless if it's helpful or not, or even how it's received. I'm reminded of this giant market in China called the Pearl Market. It's this huge building, five floors, vendor after vendor after vendor, and all of them are pushing their product these pearls to these tourists. As hundreds and hundreds of people come in, I can still remember and have a bad taste in my mouth, all these vendors yelling as loud as they can to push their product with their aggressiveness and their loudness. And as a follower of Jesus, we can also be in danger of becoming a pearl pusher where we ignore the situation, the circumstance, or even the relationship. Where we're so focused on yelling the good news We don't even care if it's good anymore to the people that we're sharing with. Now, I'm not advocating backing away from truth or hiding the good news that we have, but Jesus always shared truth and grace in contextual and relevant ways. You don't have to look any further than the Gospel of John in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. In John 3, Jesus encounters Nicodemus, a religious leader in his city, a teacher, someone with high prestige, and he comes in the middle of the night, wanting to engage with Jesus on these, on these philosophical debates and discussions of what it meant to really enter into the kingdom. And Jesus navigates that conversation to present the fullness of the good news to Nicodemus. The very next chapter, in contrast, Jesus encounters a Samaritan, someone who is outside of the Israel family, an outcast even in our own people, a woman at the well drawing water at midday because she wanted to avoid the crowds who would cast judgment and shame on her because she's had multiple divorces and now lives with a man who is not her husband. And Jesus interacts with her and he navigates to talking about her heart and her desire to quench a thirst beyond uh, the daily thirst that she experiences. And he presents the gospel in a relevant way to engage with her and draw her into his kingdom. In both ways, Jesus meets them and meets their needs, and he navigates wisely those questions, the context, and the motives to clearly display the gospel. Wisdom is essential in the ways we encounter with our neighbors and our friends. And it's all throughout Scripture, this emphasis on wisdom. Colossians 4.5 says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. See, the writer of Colossians The Apostle Paul goes on to say in the very next verse, Let your conversation uh, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Wisdom must lead us into a deeper engagement with our neighbors, not against them. It is the way of the gospel, and it is the way of Jesus. Wisdom should saturate everything that we do. But we don't just need wisdom. We need bravery. We need to be brave in the way you reproach people in our lives. The second part of the verse says this, If you do, they may trample them under their feet, the pearls, and turn and tear you to pieces. A few weeks ago, I came across this picture. 
and being a fan of the superhero genre and all its movies, I think it's a great visualization of the true reality of our time. In this pandemic, the world has rightfully shifted focus to the true heroes in our society and definitely our healthcare workers, but so many more as well, all our essential workers who are continuing to go into society to provide resource and care for people. I don't know about you, but uh, when I have to go to the grocery store even, I can feel that anxiety rise up as I wear my mask, as I wear my gloves and I walk along the aisle and walk by people. I can feel anxious and nervous and even scared. And I can't think and imagine our essential workers that do that every single day. That's what true bravery is. Knowing that there is a risk of affliction, the danger to oneself and even harm to oneself, you still step forward. For the sake of others, you still step forward and say, yes, I will do it. And that's exactly the kind of bravery that Jesus is calling us to. The exact kind of bravery that Jesus is wanting us to walk to. Author and professor John Augustus Shedd in 1928 compiled a collection of quotes that he loved and lived by. And none has been more quoted than this. He says this, a ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. It's always safer to stay where we are. A ship in a harbor, it's always safer to stay where we are with people that are just mirrors of our own opinions, our appearances, and even our ideologies. But in bravery, we find the very catalyst of the gospel, the very hope for restoration, the rescue for the downtrodden, the avenues for true relationships. When we venture into uncharted waters of friendship, where we cross cultures and dive deep into the well of diversity, we fully live out the call that Jesus has for us that goes towards all people. I want to close with a story, a story about Bible translators as they're working amongst the people of New Guinea. And Bible translation is very, very difficult because you want to stay true to the text as it was originally written, the Hebrew and the Greek. You want to stay true to what scripture is, but we also want to make it communicable to the people that you're translating for. Well, they got to this text, John 1, 29, where it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The problem was, amongst the people of New Guinea, they had no concept of sheep or lamb. They have never encountered one. They have never seen one. They never even thought of one. It was not in their vocabulary. There was no word for it. So there was nothing in them that could relate with the word lamb. Now, translators had a difficult decision. Do they just make up word up for lamb and insert it into their language? Of course, in that situation, the people of New Guinea would have no context for it. It could have been any other made up word. Well, the translators made a difficult decision to translate it into something they could relate with. In their culture, uh, there was an animal that really related well to the symbolic nature of sacrifice that's found in scripture. And that animal was a pig. See, in their culture, a pig would be raised as a sacrifice and its blood would be used for reconciliation between themselves and the spirit world. So the Bible translators, as they translated the language uh, for the people of New Guinea, as they got to John 1, 29, right or wrong, it says this, Behold the pig of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. With wisdom and bravery, they ventured forward in creative ways to share the good news of Jesus
Christ. And it can carry us far uh, when we walk the way of Jesus. And we can get creative in the ways we reach new people. But it can't take us all the way there. And what I mean is that none of us can move into the life Jesus calls us to without first receiving the calling from Him first. Know this. No matter where you are, where you're from, whatever your history is, whatever you've gone through, and whatever shame you have covered yourself with, know this, that we all are marked with sin, that all of us are outcasts, all of us have been rejected, all of us, when we come to the Lord, are like sheep who have gone astray, like dogs and pigs. But behold, there is good news. The God, the great God of all creation, has sent His most precious pearl, the very Son of God, knowing as He came that the very people He came to rescue would reject Him. The very people He came to rescue would turn upon Him and tear Him to pieces and ultimately crucify Him on the cross. It is only in the wisdom of all eternity do we see the crucifixion as our salvation. And it's only in bravery do we see that in our calling, as Jesus calls us, do we find hope for our lives. With wisdom and bravery, we venture forward as we live out the life God has called us to and reach people that God wants us to encourage and be helpful with. God bless and amen.